0: Hello, listeners. What you're about to hear is a former Patreon-exclusive
1: episode. Yes, uh, that would be our, um, I'm sorry, Joe, our very, very, very first Patreon episode all the way back from January of 2019 on Adam Robitel's Escape Room. Indeed. Yeah, this is fun. You and I have not gone back to re-listen to this because,
0: (laughs) oof. (laughs)
1: So so we're asking you listeners to do that for us. <laughs> Indeed, yeah.
0: Of course, we covered this back in the day, not just because Escape Room looked like it was going to be a fun film, but also because Adam Robitel is a queer director,
1: so we wanted to give him the press. Yes, and we are, of course, releasing the episode on Escape Room this week because the super fun-looking sequel, Escape Room Tournament of Champions, comes to theaters this weekend. Indeed.
0: Yeah, so Trace, this is an opportunity for us to reflect. Have your thoughts on the original film changed in the last couple of years?
1: Not... You know, okay, I gave this movie a a 2.5 out of 5 for Bloody, because I did review it for the site. Mm -hmm. And I think I... I, I think my overall mindset was, yeah, it's fun. It's too long. Um, it, it, it's fine. Um, <laughs> I think I would probably bump it up to a three because it's I, I'm airing more on the good side of things. Right. That being said, I do think the sequel looks super fucking fun. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. What about you?
0: Yeah, I remember being frustrated by the antagonist character. I know we made comparisons to Samuel L. Jackson's character arc in Deep Blue Sea, (laughs) and I think that argument still stands. But overall, I remember really liking a couple of these set pieces and maybe just wishing that there was a little bit more of them.
1: Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, we don't want to spoil the entire episode, so, I mean, you know, <laughs> listeners, um, if, if you have never joined our Patreon before, obviously you can head over to patreon.com slash horrorqueers if you like what you hear in this episode, and sign up, subscribe. We have a bunch of different price levels ranging from $1 to $10 that get you a variety of content, and I don't know, I think it'll be really fun. Although, again, <laughs> let us know what you think of this, because our formats have probably changed a little bit since we recorded this episode. <laughs> yeah we're, we're
0: hopefully a little bit more polished you you maybe won't be able to tell as we said it is that first one but the other thing that you'll recognize is of course that we won't have a sign off telling you what we're going to be covering next week so we're going to tell you right now and that is the bride of frankenstein trace
1: Ooh, man um you know i think we just got so many requests for universal monsters so we were like let's put two of them in the summer that'll be fun indeed <laughs> yeah and this is yeah, it's going to be a
0: great opportunity for us to revisit yet another Universal Classic.
1: Absolutely. Creature from the Black Lagoon last month, Bride of Frankenstein this month, and of course, Bride of Frankenstein is directed by noted queer director and horror queers alumni, uh, James Whale. Yeah, I'm excited. I am too. But we have gone on for far too long, so let's let these listeners get to the episode they came here for. And um, everyone will see y'all next week. So, uh, all right, here yeah. we go. Enjoy Escape Room! You're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter! All right, easy, Geraldo.
0: And welcome to Horror Queers, the Patreon-exclusive... We are talking about Escape Room, which is our one of our two new releases that we're going to be covering this month, strictly for the people that we love the best, those of you who give us a little bit of money. <laughs> I was going to say, the
1: ones that pay us. Uh, we are whores for your new release reviews. <laughs> yes. And I love the fact that we are caught up on 2019 horror. It's the best feeling in the world.
0: This will actually be really helpful for me because I have a tendency to fall really far behind on new releases. So this will actually keep my head in the game.
1: I do too. I I don't know if you know this, like every week, because I have a a list on Letterboxd that um, I I add. I go to Rotten Tomatoes every Monday and look at all the movies coming out. And if any of them are horror or thriller, I add them to my yearly horror list. But like 50% of them are bullshit movies. So it's kind of like, do they really count? I don't know.
0: Well, we love horror, and we celebrate
1: horror, but let's not lie to ourselves. There's a lot of shit horror as well. There really is. But whatever, here we are. This movie is not shit, so I mean, I I was kind of excited about that.
0: Which is true, and it's very exciting, considering we are talking about the first release of January, which is traditionally the dumping zone for horror films, dating all the way back to 2005's White Noise, which... Oh, God i don't think i even saw that
1: you know i I, when i first started writing for bloody i did a list on good horror movies that were released in january and february because yeah you're right both of these months are the dumping rounds although we are starting to see a uptick in quality in february movies Mm -hmm. um horror otherwise also oh any horror movie released on thanksgiving week those are always shit too i always remember like west craven presents they that was the thanksgiving release and i saw that shit in theaters not good that and The Long Weekend in September. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I have no idea. What, I, I don't even think they got a release here. Maybe that was a Canada-only thing. Maybe.
0: I mean, it's the, the end of summer, the beginning of January, and then Thanksgiving are traditionally low periods for audience attendance at the theaters. And typically that's when you see a bunch of garbageo enter the theater.
1: But as we've seen over the past couple of years, these January horror movies make bank. Oh, yeah. Because last show was um, Insidious, The Last Key, which I was not crazy about, which sucks. I love that franchise. But also directed by Adam Robitel. Uh, Robitel? Robitel. Is it like... Like Rotel? I'm going to say Robitel.
0: Robishow? <laughs> Robitel?
1: <laughs> Robitelson? Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah. Uh, we have Escape Room, directed by Adam Robitel. Back-to-back January movies. Interesting. Yeah. Also, handed... A, you know, he, had, he was given a major franchise... In Insidious last year, and then I guess he's kind of gets his own franchise starter. Because this, this movie clearly is trying to start a franchise. And that's, if the multiple endings are any indication of this movie, they really want to make sequels. And they probably will, considering it has a budget of $9 million and earned twice that its opening weekend.
0: Just is true and before we go any further we should probably once again clarify we are going spoiler heavy so we recognize that this is a new release but we are going to be talking about the movie so if you haven't seen it I encourage you to pause come back after you've taken a gander i mean this is what like a hot 90 minutes
1: at 100 the most? minutes Ooh, okay yep. it felt fast um, yeah, I mean it mostly did. Also, I'm really glad you remembered to remind about spoilers, because I'm the worst about spoiling things for people <laughs> <laughs> and not giving a warning whatsoever. Well, traditionally on the regular
0: feed, I'm not overly concerned about reminding people because we tend to talk about older films, but we're talking about a film that came out well, depending on when you folks are listening, at most, probably a couple of weeks ago. So, Escape Room from yes. 2018.
1: Nineteen. 2019 (laughs) idiot Uh. edit that out in post (laughs) yeah uh no no
0: you should keep that okay so here is your plot summary for all of us who have seen it because i just told you to leave if you haven't seen it i mean i feel like we should always read the imdb summaries because they're so hilariously either brief or off kilter or just incredibly wrong in this case it's just extremely succinct by all means Six strangers find themselves in circumstances beyond their control and must use their wits to survive. There was a longer one that actually referenced the fact that they got a box and they end up in traps and they maybe have to hurt each other.
1: I actually kind of love the fact that that doesn't even mention an escape room. It just says they're in circumstances beyond their control. Not six strangers participate in an escape room and might die, which is basically what the plot of the movie is. Yeah. So in case you're wondering, we're, we're probably
0: going to adopt a semi-structured format just to keep us on track. So we're going to talk a little bit about the film in general. We'll talk about the characters. In this case, we're going to talk about the rooms in particular, those multiple endings, and then we'll wrap up with some
1: final thoughts. Yeah.
0: Don't hold us to it, but that's the goal.
1: Yeah, we're really bad about sticking to a structure. Only episode we've recorded so far where we had a really strict structure was Scream, And we dropped it immediately after that episode. (laughs) Yeah, that one didn't work out so well for us. No, but nevertheless, I'm happy that people immediately get to listen to Hostel right after that. So if you're listening to this, I'm assuming you've listened to those episodes. But if you haven't, the Hostel episode's really good. As always, they get better as they go along. Yeah, honestly, they really have, I think.
0: All right, so Trace, run us through the actors in this film and give me some thoughts on what you thought of the characters.
1: Okay, so uh, as I mentioned, Adam Robitel he directed Insidious: The Last Key, and what got him his like stature in the horror genre is he directed 2014's The Taking of Deborah Logan, which I thought was a pretty solid movie. I still think it's his best movie, mm-hmm. but it might also be because he wrote that or he co-wrote that movie. He did not co-write or have any part in the writing of Insidious or Escape Room because this script is uh, not great. This one feels like it's been written by about five different people. It's only been two, and it's oh, I'm gonna butcher these names, but it's Braggy F. Shoot or shut. And Maria Melnick, Maria Melnick doesn't have a lot to her name, uh, but shoot or shut. Ugh, God, I'm just gonna commit shoot. It did write the Nicholas Cage flop season of the witch. Uh, that's the only notable thing he's done. So you know, not really high expectations going in. And I did know that that was the case kind of going in again, also January horror movie. Mm-hmm. So we have for our characters, the lead is Zoe. Although honestly, I mean, you know, she's the lead, but she they they do a pretty good job of splitting the screen time between all the characters. Like, it's not like Zoe's really featured that much more prominently than anyone else. But uh, she is played by Taylor Russell, who I know from Judy Robinson on Netflix's Lost in Space. Same. And uh, I actually do like her uh, in that show. I, I like the kids in that show. I don't like the adults very much in that show. Nah. Yeah.
0: Which makes me sad because
1: I love Molly, what's her name? Molly Parker? Yes, I think it is. Yeah, no, the the parents are the most obnoxious part of that show. Parker Posey can do no wrong, so that's fine. Then we have Logan Miller, who people may know from Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. This little scene movie with James Caan and Keir Gilchrist called The Good Neighbor. Possibly the most likable character he has ever played because he plays assholes in every single movie I've seen him in. And he's pretty darn good at it. Yeah, he is. But I, I liked him in this movie. Like, I, I think he did a pretty good job. Like, all these characters are kind of, like, flawed in their own way. But um, I, I liked him in this movie. Deborah Ann Woll, who is the MVP of the movie, mm-hmm. listeners of this podcast, may know her as uh, Jessica from True Blood, a.k.a. the best part of those final awful seasons. Mm-hmm. She's in Daredevil as Karen Page. And she's also, for the horror crowd, in Darren Lynn Balsaman's Mother's Day with Rebecca De Mornay from a couple years ago. Which I haven't seen. It's really good, actually. I would argue it's probably Balsaman's best film, which isn't saying a lot because he hasn't made a lot of good movies. He did like Soft 3, 4, and 5. And then he did Repo, The Genetic Opera. Which I have a soft spot for, but it's not good. I like Repo, but yeah, it's not good. Um, It's visually pretty, but it's not good. Since Mother's Day, he hasn't really done a lot of good things. Like He did some movie called Eleven Eleven Eleven, which came out on November 11th, 2011. Ugh. He did abattoir a couple years ago which i thought was really bad uh and he has something coming out this year megan navarre reviewed it for bloody out of some festival and liked it so is that saint agatha yes saint agatha yes that's coming out soon yes it is so i'm hoping i mean i want him to make good movies because i do like more of his early stuff and i think that saw three is good four and five or not but six is really good but i don't think he directed that one And we're
0: not talking about the Saw movies. I know, I know, I know. know. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Anyway, so moving on. But yeah, Deborah Ann Wool is great in this movie. She's Amanda. And then we have Tyler Labine, who uh, you may know from Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Mm -hmm. He plays Mike. And we also have Jay Ellis, who plays Jason, the biggest douchebag in this movie, who, spoiler alert, should have died way earlier than he did. And he, I don't watch this show, but I've heard it's really good, but he's from HBO's Insecure. Yes. And he's actually quite delightful on that. So it's a very interesting,
0: it's a very different kind of character for him. See,
1: I like that. I, I wish more actors would do that. I wish more actors would like play against type, but I don't watch Insecure. It's, it's on my list to do though. I will do it one day. And then finally, we have Nick Dodani, who is from Netflix's TV show Atypical, which my sister keeps begging me to watch. Uh, and also queer rom teen rom com Alex Strangelove. I did leave one person off of here, but the game master who oversees like everything who comes like in the eleventh hour of the movie, he is the guy that that, that rapes Lizbeth Salander in David Fincher's Dragon Tattoo movie. And then you know she like you know rapes him with a dildo and then tattoos rapist pig on his stomach. Right. I could not tell you his name though, but that's who that is.
0: I have a really weird story about that movie, but we'll save that for
1: another time. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, listeners, if you want to know that story, just tweet us and uh, he'll tell you. There we go. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's the, I mean, that's really all your characters. Like basically, yeah, all these characters, they all share something in common that the movie hides, kind of. It tries to pretend like we're not smart people and we can't figure it out very early on. So that's the thing though. I figured it out, but I thought that I was wrong because I was like, well, clearly there's something else. So, okay, this movie structure it reminds me of two movies specifically cube mhm and the other one is saw 5 saw 5 specifically because saw 5 if you recall involves a bunch of people waking up in a room and it's basically escape rooms they're all on traps And basically each trap kills one of them and they move from room to room to room and they realize that they all have a shared connection, which is like they all helped cover up some fire or something. And the twist ending is that they all could have survived the room if they each room had they worked together. Right. And that's kind of what this movie is. It's kind of the exact same thing.
0: Okay, walking back. Yeah. So the other movie that this is like is 1997's Cube by Vincenzo Natale, who is Canadian. hey He directed something else that's like super famous. He's directed a couple of different things. I feel like a lot of people would now know him because he's been directing really good television. So he's done American that's Gods it. and he's done Hannibal.
1: That's that, That's exactly what it is.
0: And then he's directed one of my favorite films, which is Splice, the Sarah Polly, Adrian Brody,
1: genetic mutation, mad scientist, David Cronenberg wannabe. I know what it is. And I do like that movie a lot. My husband's never seen it. and I really want him to watch it because that movie. (laughs) Ooh man, there's there's no uh, there's some surprises in that movie. Yeah, that movie has a little bit of something for everybody. It really does. And I can see why anyone might hate it. But I love it. I love it because it's nasty. Anyway, yeah,
0: Yeah. uh, if anybody's listening to this and you're in Toronto, I am doing a screening of it in late January, so, you know, hit
1: me up for details. Ooh, I will not be there. No, you will not.
0: (laughs) So anyway, I was actually also going to say this reminded me of Jigsaw, which is, what, Saw 10? Saw 9? Saw 8. Are you joking or are you being serious? I can't remember
1: the number because they did away with the numbers. They just... (laughs) Anyway... I don't like love the Saw franchise, but I'm I probably oh god, I've marathoned that franchise probably three or four times in my life. I'm not proud of that, but I do think that three of them are very, very good movies.
0: Well, maybe if people wanna hear your thoughts on Saw I know. we <laughs> could do a special
1: episode <laughs> where okay. Trace can count down all of his Saw marathoning and recollection. So Cube is also a similar concept people wake up in a room but it's much more sci-fi heavy because it's they have to go from room to room but it's like they're inside a giant cube basically mm-hmm. and correct me if I'm wrong because it's been a while since I've seen it but all the rooms look the same they just have kind of a different theme So different lighting okay
0: Yeah, part of the reason that Cube works and also does not work for people is because visually it looks great, but it's also very repetitive because it's essentially a rich student film. So Vincenzo Natale needed a concept that he could film that only used one set. So then he just lights it differently and shoots it in a really intelligent way so that it makes it look like they're going from room to room. Obviously, when you compare that to something like saw films or escape room in this case the budget is working in their factor and as a result we get
1: much more elaborate much more lush visuals which i I will say hey i didn't know that about cube and that makes me want to go back and watch it and like pay attention to the sets I'm sorry the set. But Escape Room had a budget of 9 million dollars and honestly, it looks good. I think it looks good. Based on what happens in this movie and like the sets they they build, like I expected it to be a lot more than 9 million dollars cuz yeah, the sets are kind of the star of this movie and the production design's fantastic. It's it's great. Honestly, the weakest part of this movie for me is the script. I wish the script were a little bit stronger. Even the PG-13 rating doesn't bother me that much because the kills and honestly the rooms themselves don't really lend themselves to gore. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's good. I would agree with you. Arguably, the one death, I'm putting in
0: quotation marks here, is the bumper. So the film opens with Ben narrowly. Well, it makes it seem as though he's about to get crushed to death in a study because he hasn't managed to solve his puzzle. And of course, this is one of my... The end of the movie. (laughs) It's one of my fucking favorite tropes of horror <laughs> movies is when you begin in media's res and then you jump back i mean I, I guess in this way it is kind of a little bit clever because you're meant to believe that all the others have died
1: but no it still doesn't work yes zoe is still alive but the problem is okay that's one person but like you're still going into this assuming that everyone else is dead so even though zoe's alive like is kind of a surprise i hate that she survives because when they kill her quote unquote i was like oh good for you movie Good for you. Like, you killed the heroine. That's awesome. Like, I didn't see that coming. And then I just like, totally pulled back on it. But yeah, it, it ruins all suspense. Like There's no suspense from most of this movie. Mm-hmm. It was more a question of who will die in what order. Yes, which I'm also fine with. I actually was surprised by the order a little bit. This may just be me surprised that Deborah and Wall dies second. <laughs> mm. uh, I thought for sure Tyler Labine was gonna die way earlier.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seemed pretty obvious to me that Danny was gonna be the first to go because as. A, the most knowledgeable person about escape rooms. He seemed like the most, you know, you're going to get rid of the person who can help you the most. Like, you want to see these characters struggle their way through the rooms. Mm -hmm. So having a fucking bratty know-it-all is not great for that. He's also the, the least famous person in the movie. Yeah, it was a little frustrating because... Part of the reason that I was initially quite excited when I was looking at the cast listing is I was like, the diversity angle in this film, and yes, this is my social justice warrior angle coming out. (laughs) If you don't like it, you're definitely on the wrong podcast. But I was like, hey, we've got a really good diverse cast in this movie. So then for them to immediately kill a person (laughs) of color, not impressed, and then to also make one of the other people of color... The
1: angry black man trope was like, Jesus Christ. They pull a twist with him too. I say twist because I think the movie thinks it's a twist, but it's not because it's really obvious from the get go that his backstory is like not as he's describing it. Yes.
0: Like I, I would be genuinely intrigued. And again, always feel free to tweet us. I want to know if anyone was actually a surprise that he murdered his friend in his backstory. Or mm-hmm. that Zoe was actually dead. Because in both cases, I was like, am I supposed to be fooled by this shit? Because I ain't
1: fooled by this shit. I know. Well, in the, I know. I, yeah, it's whatever. So the beginning of the movie is a little clunky uh, because it, it introduces Zoe. I've already forgotten the angry black guy's name. Uh, Jason. Jason. <laughs> and Logan Miller's Ben. They're the only ones that we get to see before the escape room starts.
0: Yeah, so hint, hint, who are your main characters?
1: Right? Right. So, yeah, Zoe is an introvert in her college class, and her professor says, "You should be a risk taker or something, and so mm-hmm. hence this Jason is some rich businessman type guy who is a douche from the get go, like you don't like him pretty much immediately, and then he's a suit, yeah, and then Ben is probably the most like interesting character, and that's kind of where this movie goes wrong, I think is that you know you're right, Zoe is the protagonist, but her backstory is so. Thin. I mean, granted, all these characters are fairly thinly drawn, like they get their one moment of trauma, and that's kind of the only thing that defines them.
0: It's the cast that's elevating
1: these characters and not the other way around. Yes. But basically, so here here we go. All the characters share, they don't share a trauma, but they share that they are the lone survivors of something. So Zoe was in a plane crash that killed her mom, and she survived. Ben was drunk driving, and all of his friends died, and he was the only survivor. Which that,
0: to me, was one of the more interesting ones because I wondered if the movie would end up trying to punish him because, in a way, he and Jason effectively are the sole survivors because they killed other people, whereas all the other individuals are accident victims.
1: Correct. Although, if it was going to do that, that would be a Saw movie. So, not the right thing.
0: That is true. It's not a morality <laughs> tale.
1: Yeah. Jason was on a boat? I don't know. Something something sank and he was on a lifeboat. They went yachting. Yeah. <laughs> stupid (laughs) because he's rich (laughs) and uh he basically says that his friend went nuts from hypothermia and swam away but twist midway through the third act uh no he killed him and took his jacket
0: Mm -hmm.
1: the tip-off was as
0: soon as he saw the one jacket and what's her face amanda is that right Yeah, yeah, and Amanda's like, "Oh, they're they're trying to get us to fight with one another over limited
1: resources." And then he looks at her like, "Bitch, I'm going to kill you for that, Jack." <laughs> yeah, well, I have a question about that, but I'll finish getting through the characters. So, Amanda, she was in Iraq and she was a survivor of a, a bombing. Yeah. Uh, and then Mike, what was Mike's trauma? Mike was in a cave in in the mines. Yes, and it killed his and brother. His brother died. Yeah, honestly, Mike is the like least fleshed out character in this movie. Like Danny is more fleshed out than this guy.
0: 100% coasting on Tyler Labine's charm, which is yes. quite nice because it's it's always good to see Tyler Labine. But Jesus, he has nothing to work with apart from no. dad jokes.
1: Well, and like, I, I did appreciate the fact that they didn't make him the comic relief of the movie because he is a funny person. I was kind of nervous they were going to go that route, but they don't. So oh, really, you don't think so? I mean, like, he's funny, but he's not. Like, I don't remember laughing out loud at any of his lines so maybe, maybe maybe they were trying to make him funny. Yeah, people in my theater were definitely chuckling. Well, he has a very anticlimactic death. Oh,
0: the worst. I was like, "Oh, really? That oh, oh, he's dead now?" Because that's really disappointing.
1: <laughs> that honestly, that whole sequence um after they discover their files is kind of underwhelming, but we'll get there. And then yeah. I don't remember what Danny's thing was because he dies before they even like, discover what their issues are. It's
0: carbon monoxide poisoning. His uh, entire family died except for him. Okay. It's not really. Meh. Cool. Yeah. It's like a who cares? Like, oh, I found Danny's foe.
1: Meh. Well, that's the thing. Honestly, I feel like they should have made that discovery before anyone died. But just my opinion. Because, and this is where I will say, and the only good thing I'll say about Saw 5 is that the reveal that they all helped cover up this fire and they all are kind of bad people was the only real interesting part of that movie. Whereas with this, it's, I was hoping there'd be more of a connection between them, but that kind of comes into play later once the um, secret organization (laughs) is introduced. The
0: hostile organization is revealed. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So, um, so yeah, these people get brought to an escape room because they get like a Hellraiser type box and they solve it, which by the way, that was hard. (laughs) <laughs> I would not have been able to solve that box that puzzle box
0: But I did love the fact that jason just goes on youtube to solve his
1: yeah <laughs> uh, I was like hmm. Yeah, because I mean this is what you do the movies like the rich people are lazy So they go there and I guess we'll just go to the rooms the rooms Which are the most interesting part of this movie? They're, they're the stars and the movie yeah. moves at a pretty brisk pace. i um, not staying too long in each room to where you get bored
0: I feel like we should we should either rank them as we go or rank them at the end.
1: Um, Let's rank them as we go. Yeah, and then we can just like recap at the end.
0: Okay, so the first room is actually the surprise waiting room. And mm-hmm. if you've seen any of the trailers, this has already been spoiled for you. Because yeah. they obviously show the heat lamps going on. And they show that the receptionist is a dummy and she starts to melt. And she kind of looked like Annabelle to me.
1: So she looked like there's a shot in the House of Wax remake where like you know the house is melting and all like the wax figurines, I'm sorry, the wax figurines that are actually people are melting. Mm-hmm. Um it reminded me a lot of that, like the visual of that, that melting.
0: I mean, if you're going to evoke a melting room, you could do a lot worse than House of Wax.
1: Absolutely. So that movie has great effects, uh, minus mm-hmm. the the wide shot of the house melting, which is really really bad CGI, but up until that point it's great. <laughs> so yeah, they're in this waiting room and We don't really need to go through the puzzles, but I like this room a lot. This is probably one of the better rooms for me, but it basically turns into a giant oven and they have to escape through a vent.
0: Now, did you see the fact that they would need the water coming when Zoe gave Amanda the glass? Were you kind of like, I think that's a mistake?
1: I did not. Did you? Uh,
0: I don't think that the coasters had been revealed at that point, but I did anticipate. Maybe we should take a step back before we go too much further.
1: Have you done any real life escape rooms? So I did one during South by, but it was like a mobile escape room. Like it was for HBO. So there was like one room themed after Veep, one room themed after Game of Thrones, one room themed after Silicon Valley. And I didn't know what escape rooms were. So this, and this is like two years ago. <laughs> if you so, could see my face right now, it is like this look of just absolute disgust, like I a room based on Veep. That sounds like the worst escape room ever. We, well, and yeah, we had to... Um, we had to like pull ballots out. I don't know. It was really weird. We didn't solve that one. We did solve Game of Thrones and uh, Silicon Valley, though. So that was a plus. All right. But yeah, it was HBO. So th- that's it. Have you done any done any escape rooms?
0: Yeah, I've got a friend of mine who quite enjoys them. I'm pretty awful at them. But I think we've done about four or five. So we've done like a World War Two one. We've done... Ugh. Not a ton of really high concept ones, but like if I can jump ahead briefly to the end where they're testing the pilot simulation mm-hmm. in anticipation of the sequel where they will snag Zoe and Logan once again, or mm-hmm. sorry, Zoe and Ben and Zoe once and ben, again. Yeah. There's actually a plane escape room in Toronto that you can go and do.
1: Ooh, I don't know if I like that, but okay.
0: Yeah, so they can get pretty high concept like this. So the fact that Danny is, I mean, he's so annoying that it's almost unlikable, but the fact that he's spouting off all of those different types of escape rooms that he does, it's actually very, very on point.
1: I didn't find him that annoying. I thought he was a little endearing, but um, I could understand why someone would find him annoying. <laughs>
0: I think it was just more that it felt like a lot of exposition to try to catch up characters. Yeah, or the old people in the audience who didn't know what an escape room was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and... I guess part of it was I prefer the House on Haunted Hill 1999 Dark Castle version where it's just like, I'm just here for the money. Like, I don't really care. But I wanted them to be in it faster and I wanted them to realize that it was real faster. Like his stubborn refusal to be like, no, we're not
1: actually in any danger. This is just all fake. You're just like. Jesus Christ, buddy, come on, get yeah, with the program. It's really not until midway through that second room in the ice that they figured it out. But I'm, I did want to mention something about the money, though. It's $10,000. It's not even that much money being offered. I mean, obviously, I would love $10,000, I would love that. But I just feel like for a movie, like, it's a very small amount of money <laughs> to be rewarded for something like this. It's true. Like, in that 1999
0: version of House on Haunted Hill, isn't it something like $100,000 if they stay the night?
1: Yes. $100,000 per person, and the survivors get to get the, uh, the dead peoples it up. So $10,000 in 2019 money, 20 years 20 later.
0: 20 years later. <laughs> this is, like, small change. These small potatoes here, people.
1: Damn you, inflation. And it's even less in Canada money. Right, uh, no,
0: it'd be more in Canada money. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> the US dollar is much stronger.
1: <laughs> okay, so
0: what else in this first room? So essentially part of the escape room principle is that literally anything can be a clue. Which yeah. I think is actually why when Zoe accidentally sets the room not on fire, but when she sets off the oven timer. Mm-hmm. It's actually a really good twist on what you would expect because so many of these rooms have lock key combinations and different things where you basically you do play with them. So the idea that she would be like, oh, yeah, it's Fahrenheit 451. So she sets it to 451. You're like, "Okay,
1: smart girl. Yeah. And then, of course, it horribly (laughs) goes wrong from there. Well, and so again... In my review that I wrote Discussing, I said that there was one sequence of genuine suspense in this movie. But I there are two. Because I do like the progression of the hot room. Because, again, it doesn't all just turn on at once. It's like panels and panels after a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I do like this sequence. I think it's really cool. I think it sets up a lot. That, um, but, again, if you've seen the trailer, you've seen this sequence, which hurts it. It's tricky. You've got to sell the
0: film somehow, but it is frustrating that this is arguably the second best of the, what, five rooms? Ooh, I'm interested to see what your favorite room
1: is. Okay,
0: so... Sorry, no, there's six rooms in total, but I would still say that this is probably... Either second or third on my list.
1: It's second for me. Okay, so they get out. They go through a vent and they get into the next room, which starts out as a cabin. And to get out of the cabin, they have to use the code Rudolph because when Ben killed his friends, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was playing in the car. And I have lots of questions about all of this because I don't understand how these people knew yeah, this a was lot a of a these big details. Yeah, this
0: did not work for me.
1: There, no, yeah, there, there's a ton of things where it's like, okay, I get it. Like, there are some things they would have known. All the clues have to do with these people's backstory. There was no way they would have known about Rudolph the Reindeer. <laughs> does it, like, it does not make any fucking sense. Well, and it's inherently based on this
0: idea that Ben had to survive that first room. What happens if he was the one who sacrificed himself because... He didn't have yeah. the flask or something like it's one of those things where my problem with they have to work together or each of them has a skill to survive is that it should immediately then fall apart if one of them dies. And it never does. Narratively, that would not work. But it's hard when the movie wants you to be like, oh, OK, well, they had to do this thing to make it work. But the minute you start to think about
1: it, it all falls apart. And, you know, you're right, though. Like, I, what They would not have been able to get out of that cabin if Bim would have died in the oven room. So. Good point. Mm-hmm. I didn't even catch that. So they get out of the cabin, and it's uh, an icy lake. It's an ice-covered lake, which I almost hate that I knew this. So the ice, because I read the press packet before I went to my go to my press screening. It's just hardwood that's painted. <laughs> oh, really? And so there's a movie the magic when they first walk out though, and like the, there's a wide shot of the floor. It actually does look like hardwood that's painted blue. <laughs> hmm. Whereas I did not see it because I was not thinking about it. Yeah, so if you ever watch it again, um, I can't imagine you would, but if you ever do, look for that.
0: So so this is an exterior where the temperature drops. I did like this fact that they go from hot to cold. So it's like they're boiling hot and they took off all of their yeah. extremities and then they immediately go into a cold environment and it's like, haha, fuckers.
1: Well, because poor Deborah and Wall, like she is the least clothes out of all of them and she looks just looks miserable this whole time this is my third favorite room by the way
0: this is probably my fourth
1: fourth interesting okay oh you know what i'm thinking of a later room that i do like yes i'm counting
0: the opening room that ben escapes from as one of the six
1: wait so oven ice upside down psychedelic white noise. No, hospital. Hospital white noise. And then the room crusher. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, fine. Mm, no, you know what? Fuck it. It's three for me. This is number three still. Okay. So yeah, but, but they're given a jacket that they all have to share using. And eventually the eye starts to give out.
0: Well, sort
1: of. I'm interested to hear what you think about this.
0: Because essentially what happens is... It's not that the ice gives out, it's that there's an explosion right underneath where Danny is standing. So he falls underneath and then there's a current. Let's not think about the logistics of how they got water in a room within a skyscraper building. Yeah,
1: that, that didn't bother me whatsoever. <laughs> yeah,
0: that was one of those like, cool, I'm just going to go with it. Because they also have a hologram wall. Sure. Let's go with that too.
1: Right. Which again, though, it's like, okay, so you have a hologram wall that only covers above the ice, but it doesn't stop the current beneath the ice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't short circuit Despite the fact
0: that it would clearly be an electrical wall Touching a lot of water (sighs) Details, details, details To me it was Ray Cabin in the Woods Which I was like, check, yes I I will give you a point for that but I did think it was interesting that they turned on Ben at this point and they accused him of being the game master. I didn't like it in terms of uh. a narrative development. It was a bit of a, an interesting minor diversion because all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, we're getting a sense that they are going to play them off one another. But at the same time, the justification seemed very spotty to me.
1: I didn't like it when it was announced and I think the only reason I the only way that I would have liked it is if one of them actually was the game master. Which I think also would have played better. I I do too. It, it, honestly, I could have forgiven more of the movie's flaws because then the game master would have been puppeteering, kind of orchestrating who does what. Imagine if Jason had been the game master. I mean, honestly, I don't even know if I would have liked that.
0: (laughs) Well, he's kind of useless in terms of actually solving any of the puzzles, but he is, it would have been like, oh, he's forcing so much conflict. And part of that reason is because he's actually trying to like drive people to make
1: bad decision making. But then the whole like twist ending wouldn't really make any sense if they're trying to figure out who's the strongest to survive. So I I get why that's not the case. But well, we'll get to the ending in a bit, (laughs) because I think we both have a lot to say about it. I know. Okay,
0: so in this case, they melt the block of ice after they get it with a magnet, which is, yeah, this is all very, like, very typical escape room shit. Blah, blah, mm. blah. They get into the third room. Okay. Wait, wait,
1: wait, no. You miss, You forgot that Danny falls to the ice and dies. No, I did say that. I I did not hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, there's explosions
0: under the ice, <laughs> and yes. Danny falls in. Oh, I didn't hear Danny and falls And the current in. sweeps him
1: away. Okay, sorry. Trace, you never listen to me. I did. <laughs> thought I was. It's late. It's only 10 o'clock here. Anyway, so yeah, they, they go to the third room, which is my favorite room. And hundred percent. There is no other
0: right choice. This is by far the best room.
1: And in my review, I, I I said there's one genuinely suspenseful sequence, and it is this room. It's really just one moment, honestly, because the, the flooring kind of falls apart a little too slow for my taste. But um, the moment true. when Deborah M. Wall jumps on that damn table and the ball falls out of her pocket, that like that that whole, it's probably like 30 seconds, but I was on the edge of my seat in this, that whole part.
0: So I watch a lot of American Ninja Warrior during the summer.
1: I don't know what that is, but okay.
0: It's a reality TV competition on NBC. It's kind of like parkour, but obstacle course. Oh, oh, okay. I'm into it. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely,
0: it's quite enjoyable. The feats that these individuals are able to pull off is really interesting. But there's a lot of differences in terms of upper body strength versus like springboarding and that kind of stuff. But watching Deborah and Wool try to negotiate hanging upside down—part of the joys of American Ninja Warrior—is how long can people hold on when they're holding on by their fingertips, or how much upper body strength do they have if they have to hang on for like two minutes? Okay. So that. Peace was like, okay, she should be able to navigate getting around this upside down pool table. But then the complications start to pile up where it's like, okay, the ball drops, and then she's got to get down to that. And then it's like, okay, can she now hang on to this stretchy elastic cord? And that's actually a different kind of obstacle in American Ninja Warrior is where you have to hold on to a small object on like a spring, which is actually way harder than holding on to something that's fixed. Uh. So it's very much in keeping with all of that. and it's enjoyable because Deborah Ann Waller is obviously in really good shape and it's very believable that she'd be able to hold her own. Yeah. Which also helps that she's got that good backstory. So you're like, oh, okay, she is fit. She is tough. She can survive this. And you're also like, she's the most recognizable actress in the movie.
1: That's kind of my she's thing. She's probably so, going to make it. I, I, <laughs> and then I, you're I, like, no, she's not going to make it. Never mind. I felt really bad when she died. Like, I I, I was genuinely like, kind of upset. But that's the thing though. When, when a movie like this, or any movie really, it's like, okay, do I feel bad because I love Deborah and Wool, or do I feel bad because Deborah and Wool made that character so likable? I'm gonna say it's a combination of both because yeah, I I'd say both. I do want to credit her with that, but yeah, like honestly, like I thought that phone cord was gonna snap, mm-hmm. and then the, when it didn't, I thought, oh, she's gonna make it, and then she doesn't. <laughs> she <Yeah>. just dies. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why that
0: sequence works because there's there's a bunch of different times where you actually think like I actually thought that Jason might die because he jumps do down to rescue Zoe and you're like oh he's gonna get her up and then the floor's gonna fall out from under him
1: yeah I thought that and too. it doesn't and you're like yes delay yes delay. Which, yeah, th- that, that that's how you make a good suspense sequence. So you delay, you delay, you delay. And then once you finally have your audience in like a mostly safe feeling moment, that's when you pull the trigger. And they mm-hmm. do in this sequence. But I will say how we've talked about how the script isn't the best. Jason has a line <laughs> where he escapes the floor again. And he goes, that's the second time this floor's tried to kill me. And I think my <laughs> eyes, <laughs> my eyes rolled to the back of my head. <laughs>
0: I kind of liked it because it's so bad it was almost good. No, you're wrong. It's just bad. <laughs> it's bad. I, I also, okay, this is going to sound horrible, but that to me was like, this is a white person writing for a person of color thinking that it's like, oh my God. This is my Will Smith moment. You're like, no person,
1: no. Don't I don't do know that. if. <laughs> Yeah. So, welcome to Earth. <clears throat> basically, this room is an upside-down diner, and it gets lifted to the because it's actually an elevator, and it gets lifted to the top floor. And basically, they have to solve the puzzle. As the floor is giving out beneath them to a bottomless elevator shaft. I'm sorry, there is a bottom because we do hear Deborah and we'll hit it, but Mm -hmm. it looks bottomless.
0: Because the building, when they first move into it, it looks like it's a good 25, 30, 40 stories tall. Mm -hmm. It also does not help the movie to think about the way that they navigate the rooms and where the rooms would be situated in the building for them to then get out on the ground floor. Don't do that. That also ruins your enjoyment.
1: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Deborah Amwell dies and then they escape because she helped them in her dying breath. And this is when they go to the hospital room. And this is when the movie starts to falter. You're right. Which is really upsetting for coming Right after that sequence. Well, it's a high, and then it's kind of like, all right. And Hospital Room is my least favorite. By the way, rip off of Saw Two with the poison gas. I hate the poison. Like, I think that's so boring. <laughs> well, the fact that they give you a, a five-minute
0: timer, to me, is also inherently disinteresting. It's funny that a character literally remarks, okay, well now we know how much time we have. And I was like, boring. Like it was so much more interesting to have the song play on the loop and have mm-hmm. the audience be responsible for keeping track of when the floor was gonna fall out. It's basically like an action movie countdown to a bomb detonation. I was like, Ugh, oh
1: boring. And uh, I'm backtracking to that room, but the song playing in that sequence is um Patula Clark's Downtown. And I thought that the song was going to be a clue because it kept skipping over one part where it's like where it says listen to the music and I was like oh there's a clue in the song like that that's the reaction you should be getting from your audience and that sequence is the one time that I got that like reaction in this movie so that the rest of it does not have those moments for me is like kind of why I gave it a two and a half out of five in my review. Ouch. Ooh. okay. Two and a half out of five, but it's a fresh and rotten tomatoes because it lean. it's a positive leaning two and a half out of five. There we go. So
0: Yeah, so this, this hospital triage, I think it basically exists not even as a room really for them to escape. It's a room to give you the backstories or to confirm all of the suspicions that we already had.
1: And maybe that's the problem. Maybe this sequence comes too late. Like, honestly, I think so. You switch the poison room with the ice room. And I think you might have a better movie,
0: particularly if you don't actually need them. Like, what do they do with the information? They're not, like, wh- Oh, nothing. Okay, we... well, OK, that's not entirely true. So Zoe figures out that essentially the people who are manipulating the game are doing this because of their shared traits. So she kind of deduces like, oh, they're playing us off against each other to figure out whether or not one of us is more lucky, which again, inherently is an interesting concept, but doesn't actually come to anything apart from the fact that she's like, okay, between my ramble word salad that she utters at the beginning of the film you know, that she pulls out when she, her roommate is getting ready, which are like, mm. Ugh, whatever, I'm sure it'll become important later. Blah. Yeah, put that really in apart from pocket. that. But that also could have been introduced later on. Like she could have she could have pieced it together throughout different rooms and then been like, no, we need to rebel. We're not making it. We keep dying in these rooms. We need to change something up. It didn't have to be that same room.
1: Right. Now I get that. Yeah. I, yeah.
0: Well, it's and- also just it's visually fucking boring. It, like to go is. from the, an upside down room filled with interesting production details mm-hmm. to then
1: Saw 3. Well, yeah, I'm <laughs> saying it, that room is Saw 3 it, from the way it's lit, from the way it looks. And even with the poison, like if you're going to rip off Saw, which by all means do it don't steal a set from saw (laughs) like
0: (laughs) we gotta do something more interesting with it you can't just rip it off
1: well and that's the thing too like this movie should build from like least impressive to impressive and it kind of is like a mishmash it goes from like high to like middling to really high to super low to like a little bit better to the same yeah. So Zoe yeah. starts smashing all of the secret cameras and it feels like it goes on forever. Way too long. There should be like three cameras in that room. <laughs> I know. There was like 20. In the meantime, they're having to work on this defibrillator and Jason is shocking Mike with it because they they think they have to get their heart racing, but mm-hmm. it's actually the opposite. So they basically kill Mike for no reason.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which again could be kind of interesting. It could. I think it would have almost worked better if it had not been Ben who was shocking him Because you would have then gotten that emotional reaction like, oh, fuck, I made this terrible mistake. Or I did it again. Like, I killed people accidentally again. And instead of Jason being like, I'm going to zap you again. I'm going to zap you again. And then they get out. And I kept waiting for Mike to wake up. Because I was like, they can't honestly kill him this way that's so pathetic
1: well and also i guess the way you that you know that zoe isn't really dead is because they're not going to kill two people in one room that's just not like that's not a rule of these movies that that can happen but yeah so mike's dead and then jason slows down his heart rate 250 beats per minute somehow and that's because how they he's escape. super zen i know <laughs> <It's> so stupid <laughs> nothing else of interest happens in this room ben and jason get out so is that your that's your least favorite I'm going to say, yeah, that's my least favorite room. So I'm kind of cheating. This is either
0: my least favorite or my second least favorite. Okay. It's it's like a bit of a tie.
1: Okay. So going into the next room, which is a visual representation of white noise on a TV screen. This is my fourth favorite room, and it probably would be third if there was something more to it than just Ben and Jason being on hallucinogens.
0: I call this the trippy zebra
1: room. But it wasn't zebra. It was white noise. <laughs>
0: To me there isn't even something interesting for them to do like I get that they are poisoned and the escape in this situation is actually them having to battle each other um mm-hmm. But again, it's not satisfying to have Ben accidentally kill your main principal villain. To me, it happens a little too quickly. Not that I'd really want to drawn out longer.
1: They cram a lot into this scene, though, because that's also when they reveal that Jason killed his... Is his brother or his friend? I don't even know. I think it's his friend. Okay, kills his friend in, in the his trauma flashback. So they do that. Ben realizes it. Then they get in a fight. Then they try to find the antidote, which... Also, now you mention it. Yeah, it's two rooms in a row of poison. What the fuck is mm-hmm. that? I mean, I I like the visual representation
0: when they are high, and they're hallucinating, and their face is distorted, and the room distorts. Like, it's trippy. I feared for anyone who may be epileptic.
1: Uh, we had a, a warning, like a little sign at the entrance of the theater. Because After the Incredibles 2 thing happened, <laughs> I think uh-huh. all theaters are being really self-conscious about that. So, um, yeah, we had a warning about epilepsy for this movie. <laughs>
0: oh, I went to like a discount theater, so
1: maybe they can't afford a sign. <laughs> <laughs> they, they couldn't print it on the paper. <laughs> A discount theater, though? Really? Ooh.
0: Yeah, man. $5 Tuesday movies. It's great. Oh. Wow.
1: Yeah, we don't have any. Well, I guess I don't really go to non-draft house cinemas anymore, so I don't really know what a ticket below $13 feels like. Oh, my God. Trace, check your privilege. <laughs> no, because every time I go, we have AMCs and Cinemarks and other theaters. I oh mean, Regals. Regals here. But every time I go, the audience is so terrible, whereas in the draft house, they're all quiet.
0: Well, it's because they're getting sexually assaulted. Uh- okay let's move on um <laughs> okay so jason's dead and ben is like yay i'm the sole survivor and we're back to the beginning and we've already seen it thankfully they i actually thought that they were just gonna replay the sequence over i did them. too i did
1: too <laughs> i was like oh thank god okay they did not do this <laughs> So yeah, they cut back to Zoe. Which total side note though. So I was talking to someone on uh, Facebook, and he was like, "So wait, what what were you talking about in your review? When like what what part of the ending did they show?" Because he goes, "I was late to the movie and came in during like the character introductions." And I was like, "Oh, well oh. They, they I said, "They showed they." I was like, "You probably had a better experience than I did then, but they showed the whole Ben sequence." And he goes, "Oh, I thought it was just really bad editing. I was wondering why they didn't show him in that room at all." <laughs>
0: That'd be a not a completely different experience, but it would be very different.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, they they cut away to Zoe who did not die despite like foaming at the mouth earlier in the movie. <gasps> Gay gasp. I I yeah. Whatever. So two like people in radioactive coats come in. They're they're gonna take her body away and they're making some snide remarks that like the one percent would say or something. And then she gets up and beats them up and then runs away. <laughs> This little tiny girl. Yeah, I mean, I was fine with it. I mean, I,
0: I get mad at people when they hang around after they beat their attackers. But part mm-hmm. of me is also kind of like, wouldn't you want to know who these people are? Like, as she leaves the room, there's an entire wall full of medication.
1: Oh, yeah. And I was
0: like, oh, okay, is that in case people get sick? Or is that just to restock the, the room kind of like a real escape room is where they have to fix it? You know, because I think a woman says, we've got 20 minutes before we need to reset this room. To which I was like, why? How many people are you putting through these traps in the well,
1: day? Well, we'll get there when we talk about the ending, which we're almost at. So Ben is in his little crushing room, and he gets out by squeezing into the fireplace somehow. It's really kind of weird.
0: To be honest, your friend is not wrong. It's not well edited the second <laughs> <laughs> run through, because I was like it looks like his face is getting crushed and then he somehow manages to push forward and get into
1: the fireplace. Through all of the furniture that is between him and the fireplace. It, 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 again, doesn't make a lot of sense. At this point, I'm just like, okay, like, let's go, movie. Let's go. Like, let's get to the ending. So, Ben emerges the winner, quote unquote, and the rapist from Dragon Tattoo, like, greets him. (laughs) and, And he says, he basically, like, does the obligatory villain exposition dump that explains everything, kind of, but not really? Yeah, it's enough to whet the appetite. Yeah, they were picked to see, like, yeah, all these lone survivors, who would be the lone survivor of the lone survivors. And it's rich people paying money and taking making bets to see this.
0: But correct me if I'm wrong, does the guy say that they are the third iteration and that they had started with different types of groups and then... They had selected them because they were like, oh, we wanted to see if
1: luck was a a thing. Well, so that, yeah, I don't know if it was the third, but they're definitely not the first group to go through the escape room process. I'm sorry, like whatever, like the death room process, because he lists like two or three other type groups of people. Right. Um, and they are the first ones of just lone survivors. So they basically like pick people with certain traits that uh, share certain traits to see which among them is like the strongest.
0: Which makes sense if you're looking to bet on things, you would need, yeah, statistically, you would want you know some kind of comparable so that you could say like, oh, here's why I might place my bet on one person over another.
1: Which this is when it gets in a hostile two territory for me, and I'm yes. betting you if a sequel is made, there's going to be a betting sequence, and if there is. I'm going to call bullshit because that was already done on Hostel 2 really well. But we're not talking about Hostel 2. Maybe one day. We will absolutely get to it. So Ben wins, but then they're going to kill him anyway. Yes. So basically... Because they clearly <laughs> don't leave any survivors. Yeah, they don't. But then Zoe comes out and she shoots the bad guy. Is that what she does? Uh,
0: She shoots him, but then she gets hit and then Ben saves her and it's all just traditional action movie climax bullshit
1: yeah i yeah i i didn't love like uh, yeah
0: yeah and again we're into bad set territory i was like so wait where is this supposed to be in this building because it looks like they're in a fucking reservoir dogs underground parking lot
1: like it was so uninspired (laughs) i think your trademark for this podcast is going to be the set guy because that's all you want to talk about on swim fan (laughs) 2 Uh, it's because my eye is dro- like it's a visual medium people I, give me
0: something interesting like especially this it. one they had such a huge space and it's like this guy has set up a circle of television equipment with a giant board like why why does he need Giant boards with the players' faces on it, oh, and then like a comfy couch.
1: Well, that's the thing too: is why is there even an explanation of this? Why doesn't they? Why don't they just kill Ben like immediately? Because them explaining this process to them if they're going to kill him anyway serves no purpose. We're running
0: excessively long, so let's I, yeah, get to yeah, the yeah. good stuff. Yeah, tell me the truth: Do you think this ending was added on when they realized that this movie had strong commercial prospects and that they could turn it into a franchise? Because it feels like a tack on.
1: Well, no, because, okay, so this happens, they escape. Then there's a scene where Zoe goes back to the building. She takes the cops there. And it's a deserted building. There's nothing there. And it looks like a decrepit abandoned building. There's no escape rooms or anything. And the scene ends with her screaming. And like, you know, she's lost. And I thought, okay, ending number one. (laughs) And honestly, the movie would have been better had it ended there. Not super satisfying, honestly, but fine. Then it cuts forward like six months and Zoe Mm -hmm. and Ben are still friends for some reason. (laughs) And they're getting lunch and Ben's trying to move on. And Zoe is, she's putting it all together. (laughs) Yeah, she's put it all together. She's trying to try. She's going to be like a bounty hunter for this damn organization. And she's got tickets to a plane tickets to somewhere where the headquarters supposedly is. New York. Yes. So, okay, cool. Then he agrees to help her. Boom. Ending number two. (laughs) Do you want to take ending number three? Because you already talked about it a little bit earlier. Yeah. So ending number three
0: is the trial attempt of them setting up a new killer escape room that, again, is this meant to fool us? Because right off the bat, I was like, okay, so this is another escape room. I think the only question is whether or not you're meant to be like, oh, this is the new group of people that they're putting through this escape room, which admittedly, I thought that's what it was. Okay, so does its job. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out to be, nope, this is actually the trial run through to perfect the room so that they can put Zoe and Ben through this in anticipation of their trip to New York. And that's the end.
1: They make a line where it's like, oh, thank God she got over her fear of flying. Because, you know, she was in a plane accident. Plane crash. Yeah. So, like, oh, but the, the the simulation will be ready by the time they, they make their flight. So, basically, they know all about, like, what they're doing. And- mm mm-hmm. I can only assume that they're also kind of leaving that because then if they want, they don't have to have Zoe for this se- Zoe and Ming come back for the sequel. But if they do, then they can still make it work.
0: Okay, so your prediction then, because 100% this movie is getting a sequel. It's oh, yeah. already made enough money to justify it and it's tailor-made. So, it's not a doubt, it's just a when. I'm willing to bet that it will
1: open with Zoe being killed in that way and then it will be a new bunch of people. I would be okay with that. I mean, no like no offense to Taylor Russell. Like, I think she's fine in this movie. But like her character is so boring. <laughs> is there anything left for her to do? Unless she
0: goes like hardcore Sarah Connor or something.
1: Which would make her interesting. Maybe they kill Ben in the beginning. Like she survives somehow and he dies. Hmm. And like that adds to her personal vendetta because they're such good friends. <laughs>
0: such good friends at least they didn't make them romantic interests, which is what i thought they were going to do with that final scene
1: oh yeah yeah yeah. so there are some wise choices in this movie there are some bad choices i mean again my two and a half out of five i almost gave it a three but honestly i just think it's fine i get that it's fun but because the movie falls apart for me so much after that awesome diner sequence Mm -hmm. that uh, it colored my perception of the entire movie and also because the revelations that are presented aren't really that revelatory
0: no yeah i gave it a three i waffled between a three and a three and a half and then it was kind of the same thing that you just talked about where it's like yeah you know what it's actually it's fine it's enjoyable i would probably recommend it to other horror fans but it's it's always with that asterisk and that caveat where you're like, it's not as bad as it could be. Or like, it's good for a January release. Like, we're not going to be talking about this on our top 10 list of 2019.
1: Reviews for the film are fine for like, again, a January horror release. It has 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, but then the audience score is 62%, with an average score of 3.5 out of 5 for audiences. Which is still pretty good for horror, though. Yeah, critics average is 5 out of 10, which that's exactly what I gave it, so. But, yeah, so I mean, it's going to do well. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the sequel as early as next january yeah
0: i'd be wary of that but yeah neither would i we'll see i think if we see the announcement that they're moving ahead with a sequel in the next couple of weeks then yes they'll be aiming for next year if it takes them a little while i'd be interested to see if they actually manage to pump it out that quickly
1: uh i wonder if they'll try to turn into a summer release I think it'd make more sense. It can make more money with it. We'll see what kind of legs it has because I mean, it made $18 million, but there isn't a horror movie coming out until Glass. So maybe this weekend it'll still do well, but it's going to drop off like sharp after this weekend if it it doesn't drop off this weekend. Yeah, that's true. Oh, we're recording this the week after it aired. Yeah. So any closing final thoughts on Escape Room? Mm, If I
0: have my wish, it's that they make a prequel as opposed to a sequel. Boo. No. Because they've got two other groups, so you could actually see them working to
1: perfect the rooms. Did you see Jigsaw? <laughs> <laughs> uh... Spoilers! <laughs>
0: So basically what Trace is saying is he just wants to do a bunch of Patreon episodes where he can talk about the Saw movies. <laughs> I'm,
1: just, I'm just saying it's the same. Like, what, what you're asking is what Jigsaw gave us.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you you said I'm going to be the set guy. But to be honest, most of the time, my major gripe is the number of times that a script lets a movie down. And for me, almost all the Saw movies, it's always the script that lets it down.
1: We can never really cover the Saw movies because there's nothing inherently queer about any of them, but maybe mm-hmm. for future Patreon episodes. yeah, let us know if people yeah. are interested. I don't think anyone's interested in the Saw
0: <laughs> movies, to be honest. Yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so Trace, where can people find you on the Twitters?
1: Yes, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at tracedTherman. Thurman. That's Trace D as in dog Thurman. And what about you, Joe? I am at
0: B stole my remote as in the letter B. And if you want to get a hold of us, please use the
1: hashtag horrorqueers, as that'll make it easier for you to find us and us to find you. Yep. Also, if you're listening to this, that means you are part of our Patreon. So thank you so much for spending money on us there that you even think that we're worth paying for. That's very nice of you. Yeah, we sounded very flippant off the top, but no, we're super grateful.
0: (laughs) We don't make money off this. We're not getting rich off of it. So really, what you're doing is you're paying so that we can record more often. So if you like us, then you want to hear more of us. And it's It's like a beautiful circle of life kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and also there's a ton of podcasts out there. I mean, I think I read recently that like in three months, 7,000 new podcasts were brought up. Oh, God. So thank you for picking us to listen to. Yeah. Hopefully we're not too annoying with all of our saw
0: ramblings.
1: Uh, Okay, well, that marks the end of our first Patreon episode. Ah, Escape Room. You are crossed out. Crossed out Escape Room. You did not
0: win our hearts, but we would still recommend you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay you.